Well, that was a fun song, wasn't it? I can't figure out if we're early for next Christmas or if we're late for last Christmas. We start the new Christmas celebration in January, by the way. See, decorations, we're ready to go for next year. Well, good to see you, everybody. Uh, I just want to mention before we jump into the message this morning, the combat worship team who was just up on the platform. These are all kids, and I just, uh, you know, it's hard to get up in front of adults, so thank the Lord for them. I just love how we bring along kids in worship ministry, and they did a great job, by the way. Okay, uh, take your program, if you would, and on the back of your program, you're going to see a man named Pastor Bill Lynch. And Bill is our new pastor up in Kendall. He's preaching up there this morning. And you can read about him on the back of the program. I'm not going to read through uh, this whole thing. But he's got a great, great history. And we are just very excited for Bill and Pam. uh, And they're coming to us and and bringing their presence up to the Kendall campus. So thank you, Bill and Pam. And be praying for them this morning uh, as they kick off this year as new pastor. Okay? So um, I'm pretty excited about this new series. We're going to anchor this series as a teaching series in the Word of God from First and Second Peter, but it's going to feel topical to you as well. So you're going to get kind of the best of both worlds. But we're going to anchor down, and for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be going deeper into the Word of God together as a family, and it's going to be great. And our goal for this series is for us to focus our faith. That's the goal. Can you say, focus my faith? Focus my faith. Now, maybe you're already focused and you don't need it, but, uh, you, you know, you can always strengthen your faith through the Word of God, right? So this is to grow in, in the understanding of how our faith can become more effective and more strong. And the way you can maximize this experience, if you're interested in maximizing this experience and get the most out of it, is to join our online daily Bible study. I'm going to be taking whoever signs up for this through... Um, the entire book of First and Second Peter, verse by verse, every morning there's going to be a verse posted or two and a few comments from me. You can comment too if you want or you can just read along. And I'm telling you, this is going to precede each sermon. So we'll go through the section that we're going to preach on and it's going to be the best way possible for you to get the most bang for your buck, okay? So I'll help you stay engaged all week long in the series. And I am very, very excited about that because that's what I do for my own personal uh, growth. So here's a slide of how you can do that. Just go to our webpage and sign up for the group, okay? So I mentioned to you last week, and I hate to belabor this and, and, and you know rub your noses in it, but I was in California last week. I picked the wrong week to go, apparently. I should have gone this week, right? But my wife and I spent a few days in La Quinta, which is in Palm Desert area. Here's a picture. This was my view for four days. And we were really looking forward to this time to spend with some friends of ours, Garrett and Andy, down there. That's their place. And La Quinta feels like a little slice of heaven. Like whatever heaven's going to be like, I think it's going to be a little bit, like maybe a tiny bit like this, okay? It's so beautiful. It's warm. And there's this thing called the sun, which... It's a ball of fire in the sky. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, remember that? But what's amazing to me about going somewhere, and I know we all love to go somewhere warm in the winter if we can, what's amazing to me is the only thing separating us from an entirely different climate is just a couple of hours in the air. That's it. From here to there, a couple of hours, and it's a paradise. And so for a month, my wife and I looked forward to this trip. We anticipated it. We talked about it. We thought about it. And it was just a little bit like looking forward to heaven, I think. And you know how it is. If you've ever gone somewhere warm in the middle of winter, you know how it is, right? This trip you look forward to. 
It's motivational. It helps you, it helps you stay in the game of work, doesn't it? You, you think to yourself, just three more weeks, just two more weeks, just one, one week of sleeps, right? Seven sleeps. Anybody do that? Seven sleeps, six sleeps, five sleeps. And then you're there. And you stay focused and you get her done here in the cold country because you know that the fun is going to come. And so you buy your tickets and you take them out and you look at them, don't you? You look at them just to remind yourself you have a ticket. And because you have tickets, you have assurance that this is really going to happen. You're really going to go somewhere. And it's going to be great. And for Gwen and myself, when we buy tickets, I do that. I pull them out every now and then and I just remind myself what time I'm going to leave, you know. Because I've missed flights before. I know you can't believe that, but I have. And the tickets keep us focused on the fact that there's a paradise awaiting us in just a week or two weeks or a month. And that's exactly what faith does for us. Exactly what faith does for us. Our faith, what we believe about heaven, what we believe about Jesus is what's waiting us. What we believe about our inheritance, what is yet to come, is what keeps us focused. And we want to talk about that for a while because it's so helpful as we live our life on this planet. So number one in your notes today, number one, our faith keeps us focused. Can you say focused? Focused on heaven and on our inheritance. Now, I'm not going to cover every verse on the weekend sermon series. We'll cover that every morning if you're with us online. But this, this is a letter from Peter, in case you don't know. Peter was one of the men that walked with Jesus, one of the most challenging men for Jesus. And so what we're going to do really is read somebody's mail. Because this letter was intended for a group of people, some Jewish friends of Peter, who had become believers in Christ. So they were Jewish Christians. And because of Nero's persecution, they had spread all over the known world. Persecution had driven them out. Uh, They call it the diaspora in Greek, if you're interested in that kind of thing, or the way that they were dispersed. That's the way to remember it. All over the known world. And I want you to notice this today because we're going to talk about this this morning. And that's that God used persecution to drive his church past the boundaries of Jerusalem and out into the world so that the gospel, the good news, could be known. So I want you to notice that, first of all, this morning, is that God unabashedly uses persecution. He uses persecution. He uses trials. He uses testings in our life. So these Jewish Christians, God chooses to become the first missionaries and the first church planters in the life of the church. So let's start in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy, we sang about mercy this morning, that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the gospel right there in that sentence. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, I want you to notice that important line, through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now, Peter gives us some powerful doctrine. 
in these first few verses of his letter. And let me just encapsulate what some of the main ones are. First of all, it's God's mercy that saves us. It's God's mercy, God's grace. We're saved by faith in his grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. Right? So it's clearly God's mercy through Christ's resurrection that saves us. So I always want you to remember this, is that God reached out to you first. God reached out to you first through Jesus Christ. Amen? And then God pursued you with his Holy Spirit, who we have the privilege of knowing on this planet. So God's mercy saves us. Secondly, we live in anticipation of this priceless inheritance for us. Knowing heaven is waiting affects how we live now. Why don't you say that with me? Knowing heaven is waiting affects how we live now. We are motivated to live a life trusting God because we've been given the assurance of eternity, of an inheritance with Jesus, of a home spent with him forever in heaven. That's what motivates us, just like knowing that there's a paradise awaiting us in Hawaii or California or somewhere. Just like that, but even greater is the knowledge that what's awaiting us is worth living life well now. It should motivate us to live well. That's what heaven and Jesus should do. And then thirdly, it's through our faith. Would you say through our faith? Through our faith. Your faith matters. Your faith matters. That's why we're having this sermon series, Focused Faith. It's through our faith that God is protecting us by his power until we receive our salvation. God is protecting us by his power until we receive our salvation. So I want to say again, your faith matters. Your faith is what keeps you choosing God's way instead of your way. Your faith is what keeps you choosing his word instead of your own will. It's your faith that makes the decision to be obedient to him. And through your faith, God is protecting your very soul. Would you put your hands over your heart today? And would you say with me, God is protecting my soul. Say that. God is protecting my soul. You have a loving Heavenly Father who knows you through Christ. And He is protecting your soul until the day comes when our salvation is complete. We must understand this. Now, wait a minute, you say. I thought we already had our salvation. I was saved in 1973. Right? Yes, you were. You received your salvation from Christ. You received forgiveness from your sins and the assurance of eternal life. So what does it mean until you receive salvation? Well, look at it like this. You've already got your tickets. Jesus purchased them for you. You have them. You have a relationship with the people in your destiny, in the paradise you're going to go visit. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all those who've gone before you. And the angels. So you're in connection with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you aren't experiencing the fullness yet. Your feet are not yet in the water. You're not yet standing in the waves. You're not yet sitting in the lounge chair. You're not yet feeling the sun beat upon your face. That's going to come. So that's what it means until the day that you receive your salvation. It means the completeness, the consummation, the coming together of all that you've believed is going to happen on that day when Jesus Christ comes for us. Amen? So that's good news. But I want you to know this morning, and the reason we're talking about this, is that it's our faith 
The same faith that purchased your tickets by believing in the grace that Jesus Christ offered you that will live like you're really going. What does that mean, to live like you're really going? To live like you really have this trip waiting you. To live like there really is a destiny awaiting. You know, like for my trip, I got my three-ounce toothpaste. I got my three-ounce sunscreen. It doesn't last very long. I got some snacks. I like cashews and I like jerky, things you can easily pack on a plane. I packed my meds. I was focused. I was ready to go. I had my tickets, got my car rented. And then in faith, I showed up at the airport with my wife at 6 a.m. ready to fly, right? Ready to fly. And the same is true with our faith in Christ. Our faith gets us ready for heaven. What you do with Jesus once you've gotten saved, what you do with the word of God, what you do with your relationship with the Holy Spirit, this is what gets you ready for heaven. And Peter says it's your faith that God, through your faith, that God protects you by his power until you receive the fullness of this salvation. And let me talk about trials just for a moment. Every trip comes with trials, right? Something always goes wrong on a trip. Or there's work, there's trials to get ready for the trip, right? So I'm going to be going to India in a few weeks, and it's a lot harder to get ready for India than it is to get ready for California. So for India, there's the arduous process of getting a visa, and you don't always get one. Sometimes they say no. There's the cost of travel. There's the money and the time. There's the border crossing going up to Vancouver, although that's a small trial. They can make it a little hard for you if they want to, right? Uh, All these questions. There's the red-eye flight. You fly out at 11 or 12 at night. There's the airport, standing in lines, taking your shoes off, uh, having people pat you down. Although I'm a physical, uh, physical affection guy, so I don't mind. It's like, come on, come on, bring it, pat me down. Oh, I feel the love. Come on, baby. It's not really a trial for me. But then there's the waiting, and this is the hardest part. Somebody said that in a song. There's the waiting, right? The three hours ahead of time and the two hours just sitting there, and it's just so boring. And then there's the flight, 18 hours to get there with my knees against my chest, you know? Yeah, I fly coach. I do. And then there's always the present danger of being in a foreign country. It's not really safe. It's not as safe to be in India as it used to be. Uh, So there's, you know, the, the potential problems when you get there. And for me, getting sick is always a possibility. It's always a possibility I'll come home with a bug. So what is the key? What is the key? The key is staying joyful in the midst of all of these trials and testings that come as you get ready for the trip and as you take the trip. I'm going to be going with some people that I know want me to be joyful on this trip. They don't want me to be irritable and impatient and a grouch. That's no fun. It's no fun to travel with people that are grouchy. Somebody elbow your neighbor and say, yeah, see, it's not. It's not fun. And so one of the keys of living in tests and trials on this planet is learning how to do it with joy so that the people with you enjoy the journey. And so that I'm not always bringing people down by my attitude and by my impatience. So that's something I work, I work on in my life. So what do these trials prove, these travel trials that are going to precede my time in India? Here's what it is. It's that the outcome is worth it. The outcome is worth it. 
It's worth the trials. It's worth the tests. These sweet brothers and sisters in India who pay the price every day for their faith and face a lot more trials and testings than I do in my faith, it is absolutely worth it for them to know that I would travel this far just to be with them, just to see what God is doing through them, just to rejoice in what the Lord is doing through the ministry that they're involved with. That is the payoff. It is so worth it to pay the price of the travel. And I want to say to you this morning that anything worth something costs something. Anything worth something costs something. And the same is true of our focused faith. Our focused faith is worth something, so it costs something. That brings us to number two this morning. Our focused faith is proven genuine through trials. Our focused faith is proven genuine through the testings and through the trials that we go through every day in this life. You know, yesterday I drove down to Harborview Hospital to visit Charlotte Lindstrom. Some of you may know Charlotte. She attends here. And Zach and Katie Viss, Katie's her daughter. And shout out to Charlotte this morning and Zach and Katie, if you're watching, from the hospital room. She's been there 27 days at Harborview. Harborview is not a great place to spend 27 days. I'm thankful for Harborview because they bring healing to the lives of people. But it's not a great place to spend the holidays. And her living there follows a brain bleed, a stroke that she had. And just when things started to get better last week, she, the port became infected with staph infection. So she developed a brain infection. So all the progress she had made landed her back in ICU, and now she's kind of starting over again. Now, folks, that's a trial. Like like what I have to complain about is nothing compared to that. Now, I will say this. Every trial, every test we face is meaningful to us. So we can't compare the things we're going through with what somebody else is facing, right? It's meaningful to us. So in no way... Do we minimize our own suffering because somebody else is suffering worse? On the other hand, it provides great context for our lives. I walked out of Harborview yesterday and drove home. You know, Charlotte did not. Zach and Katie did not. They'll be there faithfully, you know, every weekend until she's released. And so these trials and these testings come, and it was so wonderful to visit with her and to hear her heart And just hear her share about what it's been like and about how Jesus has been there for her and about the little miracles that God has done and the little ways God has shown up, you know, in their life through this time. And asking the question, Lord, what are you doing through this time? And I can tell you for Charlotte, part of it is, Jesus, how can I trust you more as I walk through this difficult time? How can I trust you more? I trust you with my salvation my eternal life. Now, how can I trust you with my temporary life on this planet? How can, I, how can I believe that you are good in the midst of what is bad? And that's the challenge that we have with trials and tests. With trials and tests in our life, it's, the question is, what do I do with Jesus as I walk through this test and this trial? Is he really good? Do I believe that about him? Does he really hold my life in his hand? Do I trust him with his sovereignty? And what he allows in my life to test me? Those are the kinds of questions that 
come up? Do I hang on to Jesus when trials come? I can tell you Charlotte is. I can tell you Zach and Katie are. Although it's hard. It's hard. So all of us this morning have trials that are unique to us. I know if I went across the room and interviewed every person in this room, you would tell me of a trial that you're facing and that you're going through. How we respond to Jesus in our trials. Now get this, this is very important. How we respond to Jesus in our trials is what proves our faith to be genuine. Now we don't win our salvation with our faith. We're already saved. But our faith is proven genuine by how we respond to Jesus more and more and more and more as life goes on and we learn to trust him fully with our life. That's the goal at the end of your life. The goal at the end of your life when you take your last breath is that you trust Jesus completely. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for as followers of Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, here's a question just for you to think about. Do you engage your trial with faith, putting your trust in Jesus as you walk through this trial? Doesn't mean you don't feel sad. Doesn't mean you don't feel pain. Doesn't mean it's not hard. It means do you respond to Jesus in faith and let him meet you at that place you are? Or do you get overcome by the trials of life and give in to self-centered living? Because you see, that's the other end of the scale. You've got Jesus-centered living, which is trusting him and then learning to love others even while you're hurting. But then you have have self-centered living, which is on the other end of the scale. And that's the thing we battle the most. Wouldn't you agree? Come on. If you're honest like me, come on. Wouldn't we agree that self-centered living, self-centered responses, is where we tend to be tempted when we're tested by life? So what is focused faith? Focused faith is other-centered faith, starting with Jesus. Other-centered faith, not just self-centered faith. Focused faith keeps our eyes on Jesus. It keeps our eyes on heaven. And focused faith is lived out by loving people even while you're going through the trials of life. That's a challenge. Jesus modeled that, I would say, extremely well on the cross. When he was stretched out on the cross and he looked down on the people that had put him there and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus modeled being able to take care of people and to love people even in his worst moment. And that is so hard to do, folks. And I get that. And this message is for me first. It's a challenge for me. But yet I want to say to you, that is the goal of our life, is is not just salvation faith, but faith that proves our salvation. Genuine faith that lets Jesus be who he is in the midst of our struggles and trials. So focused faith keeps our eyes on Jesus, on heaven, and it's lived out by loving the people God has given us to love while we wait. Focused faith learns to stay glad even when life is bad. And again, I'm not saying, I know some of us grew up in homes where this was really used as manipulation in our lives. My dad had a little Christian song for every moment that there was that he would sing without fail. Have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. Didn't you hate that? Anybody else? Oh my goodness. I I just wanted to say sometimes, don't you ever, ever sing me another song, you know? Of course, now I wish he could, right? 
But focused faith really is learning to stay glad. And when I say glad, I don't mean live in denial of your problems. What I mean is see Jesus. See Jesus. Trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Let him meet you in your problems, even when you're going through the tough things. So let's talk about how this was for the first century church. So the church Peter was writing to in this case, they had some major trials and major tests in their life. And so Peter writes, you know, because they were facing persecution and torture and imprisonment and death. And Peter writes in verse 6, he says, be truly glad. That means, that means let Jesus meet you where you're at, pretty much. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, would you say that with me? Strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So let me just pause for a second here. Let's make this personal. So what is your trial today? What do you bring into the room with you? What is it today that is requiring you to place your trust in Jesus? Is it your marriage? Is it your health? Is it the loss of a loved one? Is it your finances? Is it your children? What is your trial? Is it simply the endless pressure of life? Is getting up out of bed in the morning, (laughs) is that your trial? Is that your test? You know, I think we all feel that way sometimes. Your trial and how you trust Jesus in the middle of it is a test that God has allowed in your life. Let's let's get this doctrine clear. God allows tests in our life. Now, when I say that, I want to make it clear that Scripture tells us that God does not tempt us to sin. So if you end up sinning in a test or a trial, that's not God's fault. That's on you, right? If you go there, that's on you. God does not tempt us to sin or to do evil. James tells us this. But God does allow testing, and the testing is clearly for the purpose of purifying our faith, of strengthening our faith, of becoming more like Christ, of building our character. And Peter compares this process to how gold is refined. Nowadays, they use chemicals, and that's not what Peter was talking about. They use chemicals to refine gold. Back then... They put it in a hot fire, and you know how this goes, right? In a hot fire so hot that the gold would separate from the impurities and the dross or the impurities would rise to the top and they would skim off the dross and they would do this process over and over until the gold became as pure as it possibly could be. Not perfect, always a little dross left, but pure. And the test of life that God has created for us or allowed us, let me say allowed, not created, allowed for us, the tests of life that God has allowed for us are hot. And they make us hot. And they cause us to go through all kinds of of conditions in our life. And what happens through this testing is that the impurities come to the top. If we allow them to, we confess them, we repent of them, we let God take them. And over time, we grow more pure. And that's what God wants to do in every believer's life. Impurities like unbelief or like impatience or like distrust, those are the kind of things God wants to take out of our life. And through this process, you have the choice 
to depend on a sovereign God and to trust that he is good and to align your heart with his will or not. And so every test that we go through will purify our faith a little more, a little more, a little more until at the end of our days we'll be as pure on this planet as we can be and then our salvation will be completed by Christ. That's what it means to receive this salvation. He will complete it for us. So let me say this to you today. I think that we look at ourselves and we say, you know, this is good about me, this is precious about me, this is great about me. And I just want to say to you today, the best part about you is your faith. It's not to minimize how beautiful you are. It's not to minimize how smart you are. It's not to minimize how successful you are, what a great parent you are, none of that. But the thing that is more precious to God than any of that is your faith. It's your faith that he's purifying. It's your faith that he's wanting to become strong. It's your faith through which God protects you, your soul, until you receive your full salvation. It's really your ticket for your flight. Everybody pays a price to follow Christ. Again, let me be clear. Christ pays the price for us to know him. We pay the price to follow him. And it's through that following that our faith is proved genuine. So recently, let me just give you another example of, of, you know, a fire and genuine faith. I read an article recently, and some of you saw me post this this last week on Facebook. It was written by Caleb Park about the church in Iran. Now, you've been following what's been going on with Iran. Um, In this article, he interviews producers of a feature film called Sheep Among Wolves. Now, this uh, film, which you can Google this and you can watch it on YouTube. It's worth the watch. This film documents the rise of the Christian church in Iran. Now, are you surprised to hear that? Are you surprised to hear that the Christian church is rising in Iran? In fact, some say it's the fastest growing church in the world. Not the largest church, but fastest growing percentage-wise, like by 20% a year. Some estimates say, I think Open Doors says, uh, estimates about 800,000 believers in Iran. Some estimate up to 3 million. And the reason it's hard to tell is because much of the above-ground church has been destroyed by the government, and so the church is underground. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting in secret because their lives are at risk. And so I, I read this article, and this film is produced by Thomas Dalton, and he calls this movement the Iranian Awakening. And I, I just want to give you some quotes so that you understand and have context to what other people are facing in trials, okay? Not just us. He says, the church owns no property, no buildings, no central leadership, and is predominantly led by women. Okay, so maybe this causes a problem with some of the scripture that we have interpreted to say women can't lead in church. You know, sometimes, sometimes scriptures, you know, which we grab here in the West and seem to work for us, don't work around the world. So you just might think about that. So this church is led primarily by women. That's because the men are not available or they refuse to leave the fellowship of Islam. So the church is being led predominantly by women. The film is named after the Bible verse in Matthew 10:16, which says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This documentary claims, and I quote, Muslim background Iranians are leading a quiet but mass exodus out of Islam and are bowing their knees to the Jewish Messiah with kindled affection toward the Jewish people. This film documents that not only are people coming to Christ, but they're also developing this love for the Jews. 
Now try to figure this out in your mind. These are people that are leaving Islam and are recognizing that the Jews are God's people. And so God is giving them, I believe, God is giving them love for the Jews, not only a love for Jesus. So you won't read about this in most news. The church is alive and thriving in some of the darkest places and even in Iran. China is another great example. As the government imposes more and more and more pressure, the church just goes underground. It's kind of like my hair. You know, as I get older, it disappears from my head and comes out of my ears. It's sort of like that. You can't suppress the church of Jesus Christ. And if you push them down, they will come out in other places. And they are all over the world. This is happening. All over the Middle East. Tim Lewis is here with us this morning. I saw you walk in, Tim. Frontiers, missions. He would tell you the church is alive and well in many places in the Middle East. And so these new believers in the Islamic Republic, they, they face great risks and trials. And they follow Jesus forsaking their family and forsaking even their culture. And they cling to Jesus. And this is probably the best example I can give you of, of what it really means to have focused faith. They cling to Jesus until he comes again. Their faith is focused because their trials require it to be. And I would say probably our biggest problem in America or in the West is that our trials don't require us to have focused faith. We have sort of faith. And we have faith to be saved, but not that faith to really keep Jesus central in our life. So everything the Iranian church does is underground and it's built on prayer. One pastor says this in the, in the video. He says, we find people of peace. Now, these are people that you can trust. You can't trust everybody. So you don't know who to be honest with. You don't know who to share with. So they find people of peace. That's what they call them or people they can trust through prayer. They pray and the Holy Spirit leads them to people of peace. It's a beautiful thing. God is alive and well. And you better hope he's still active today, folks. You know, cessationism, come on. We need the Holy Spirit. We better be continuous. The Iranians need him. I think we need him too. They even find locations to meet through prayer. They'll pray and God will lead them to locations to meet together. Locations that are safe. Now I've heard this for many, many years that Jesus has even come to them in their dreams. Did you know that Jesus is showing up in the dreams of Islam people? And introducing himself to them and saying, come and follow me. This is happening. This has been happening for years. You don't hear this in the news. And when we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. Now, get this. One Iranian woman convert says, and I quote, We know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as women is rape us. And then they will beat us. And ultimately, they will kill us. But this is the decision we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. And she says, because I have this thought when I wake up that when I leave through that door, I might not come back. So every morning when they leave the door of their house, they say goodbye for reals. Goodbye for reals. This might be the last time I see you on this planet. 
So just so you know, Iran takes a firm stance against Christianity. They have an anti-conversion law, anti-evangelism laws. If you convert, the very least you get is you'll go to prison. You'll be persecuted. But risking these trials is worth it to them. And I would say to you, it proves their faith genuine. It proves their faith genuine. They're willing to lay it all on the line because Jesus did that for them. It's remarkable. They must trust Jesus. They must focus their faith on the one they cannot even see. And that's the last point in your notes today. Our focused faith trusts in who we cannot see. That's the coolness of faith. The Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not based on what we can see, even though there's plenty of evidence for Jesus and historical evidence for him and his resurrection. Still, we can't see him today, right? So where do you turn? Where do you turn when life turns on you? That's the question we want to ask today. Do you turn inward or do you turn upward? Do you turn to people or do you turn to Jesus? Do you turn to wine, women, and song or do you turn to the fellowship and community of the Holy Spirit? Do you turn to an affair or do you let God help you work on your marriage? I mean, what do you do with Jesus? Do you get lost in the endless binge of watching mindless shows? I've done that every now and then. You know, out comes Lord of the Rings again. (laughs) How many hours is that? I don't know. Or here's the question. Do you turn to the one you cannot see? The one who's with you every second knows you better than you know yourself through his Holy Spirit. Do you turn to him? That's the question. And that's really the question of focused faith. Do you turn to Jesus when life turns on you? 1 Peter 1, verse 8, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Again, we see the salvation that we have now by receiving Christ. But then we see the culmination of salvation when our faith has proved genuine by how we live out this faith in our walk with Christ. So, focused faith comes down to this, that you trust in who you cannot see, that you believe he's good, that like Charlotte laying in a bed in ICU right now, that she believes that he is good even in the midst of her struggle. Charlotte, I say that to you this morning, that you believe that he's good even in the midst of your struggle. And I honor that about you. And I praise the Lord for that because I know that comes through His grace. So our faith is proven genuine by trusting Jesus through trials. If you trust Him for salvation, if you trust Him for eternal life, then you must trust Him through the trials of life as well. This trust is what they prove. And how do you trust Him? You trust Him by giving yourself to him, to his kingdom, to his will for your life, even when you are in a test, making every moment of life about loving God and loving others. Peter says, you even rejoice, you're even glad, not for the test, but in the test, knowing that Jesus will see you through the test. That's what it means to have focused faith. So let me ask you today as we close, Are you trusting Jesus in the testing? What is the testing 
What is it that you're facing today? What trial is it that's in your life this morning? Are you trusting Jesus in the testing? Maybe this morning is just a a little reminder to you to come back to that place where you trust him and you invite him into that place and you choose to love him and you choose to love others. Maybe that's what this morning was about. Just a gentle reminder. Are you inviting him to soften your heart when life is hard? I find that hardness of life results either in a hardness of heart. You know, we become angry people. Uh, We become people that are resentful toward God and toward life. Or the trials of life can bring a softness when you invite Christ to meet you there. Because in that submission to Christ, the heart is softened. And we become more beautiful in our faith than we were before. So are you allowing God to soften your heart even when life is hard? And there's an amazing blessing that comes to our life when we trust in the one we cannot see. And Jesus gave this blessing, and I want to give it to you this morning because I think it's for us as well. And he gave it to Thomas. Thomas was standing before Jesus, and he was having trouble trusting. And you remember this story, right? Having trouble believing. And first Jesus let him put his hands in his wounds and let him feel him. And then Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And that's Jesus' blessing for you as well. Blessed are you who do not see and yet believe. So would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you because I I feel like the Holy Spirit nudged me this morning and said, just pray for people in their testing. Just pray for people that they will let Jesus meet them in that time of testing. You know, we all have a choice when it comes to that place of that test of what we're going to do with Jesus. And I know I have failed. And I know that it's always a challenge for me to let Jesus come into that place and to not do the things that would normally characterize me. Impatience, you know, those kinds of things. And to work through his presence being with me so that I can still love, can make the right choice even when it's hard. So let's bow our heads and if that's you this morning I just want to pray with you, agree with you about that. Lord Jesus, I come this morning with my trial and with my test and first Lord I want to thank you for saving me. Thank you for this salvation that you provided for me by your mercy. Thank you for the grace that has come to my life You've revealed yourself to me as my Savior. You've forgiven my sins. And I thank you for that salvation. And now, Lord, I I just say I want to live my life in a way that proves my faith genuine. And I know this will never happen in one service on one Sunday morning. But, Lord, I want this to be the process of my life. That when I hit a testing and when I hit a trial, that I will invite your presence to be there with me. I will continue to believe, maybe after a struggle, that you are good even though life is bad. And that I will keep my eyes firmly fixed on heaven and on the inheritance waiting for me and on being in the presence of you, Jesus. I will fix my eyes on things that I cannot yet see. And I will allow that to influence my life on this earth. Thank you, Jesus. I entrust my test to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. 
You know, this morning we're going to close our time together with some great worship. We're going to give our tithes and offerings. If you're a guest here, be our guest. Let the bucket pass you by. But let's just worship the Lord together. Let's just invite him into the test as we close together.